Welcome back to In the Mix, the legal life of Ludacris right here at GSU College of Law. I would like to introduce four students who are going to talk to us about the topic producer agreements. So we talked about a producer named Bangladesh, who, if you don't know, produced one of Ludacris's first big hits called What's Your Fantasy? We all know that song. And so we brought in his lawyer, attorney Bernie Lawrence Watkins, and she went through producer agreements with us. And it had some, I'll say, a little glassed over <laughs> on some of the concepts in the producer agreement, but we went over it again and we talked it through and we had a really good time understanding how producers get paid differently than artists. Like, you know, who sings the song, who writes the song and things like that. So let me introduce my students to you first. Right here we have... This is Ovi Balaj. Ovi's a two-timer. <laughs> Tari Merritt. Mitch Funk. Paul Allman. We have gone through now radio talent agreements. We went through a management agreement, and now we found ourselves at the producer agreement. And so when attorney Bernie Lawrence Watkins first came in and she started telling us about how she represents producers, what did you think about the whole idea of representing producers versus what we've been mostly talking about, which is being the talent? There's a lot to know when you need to represent a producer because the copyright law and other laws that pertain to the specifics that you have to deal with in those agreements take time to understand in terms of their concepts. So make sure you get a lawyer that knows that stuff very well because even a rookie may not know them that well. So you have to really make sure your lawyer knows what he's doing because it will affect you in the long term. Yeah. And I think I think you touched on something really perfect. There's a lot of specifics. So there's a lot of important things for producers in that if guys just go into or, or ladies will go out walk into the booth just starting to set up a recording, they might not think of those specifics. And it's, so it's really key to have an attorney to look at that and know so that you're getting your cut and getting what you are owed and what you bring to the process. Yeah, she said that it's hard sometimes for producers to get paid. And she said that in the beginning or in the middle, and I was hoping that she would embellish on that more and she did just the nature of the position that the producer is in and what they bring to the table sometimes they might be a writer or sometimes they might be wearing multiple hats and how the producer gets paid changes based off of their interaction in the deals yeah, yeah i thought what was interesting and new about learning about the producer side of it was you really see kind of what a chess match you know, understanding all of these different elements is. You know, we, we see the artists, they're the, they're the face of things. You mm -hmm. see them on TV, you hear them on the radio. But when you, as potential entertainment attorney, start looking at, there's a producer, and then there's the people in the booth, and then, you know, the, you start looking at all these different pieces on the board, and if you don't know what they do, and for me, this was kind of new, you know, I knew what a producer was generally, sure. but learning a little more detail about what a producer does and what we would have to look at as attorneys in that was a really eye-opening experience. And how much a song can be broken down into who has what part of a song, but you, you wouldn't really even think that, depending on the leverage a producer has, right? Right, because when, when Bernie first came in, she started telling us about if you're someone who's making beats at home and someone says, you know, we want to place your beats on a very famous rapper's record, are you going to say, no, I need to negotiate my points up front and I need to know what the splits are and is right. he the writer, am I the writer, who's getting credit for the music? Mm -hmm. A producer is almost put in a position that until... 
that first big song comes, they don't really have much to know about these issues unless they have a kind of lawyer. And maybe the lawyer's the one that needs to have the leverage to say, even though my producer is new, he's handing you over this amazing either music, lyrics, and he needs to get paid for it. But how often does that really happen? What was fascinating to me about it is if you think about any song you've heard on the radio, you immediately recognize that song just by a few beats, the first few beats. It even could be used in a commercial with no lyrics, nothing behind it. And, and a lot of that is the producer's work. But you're right. You and a, if it's a new producer, they have no idea to step up and say, I need to take this, this control of what I'm putting out there. And so I think it is incumbent upon us as wanting to be attorneys in this space to get in front of those clients and get in front of what they're trying to do and be that voice for them. Sure. I mean, I think Bernie mentioned really interestingly that she has a good ear and it's all about knowing when your client has the potential to explode. And so I'm sure that she gets tons of mixtapes and people giving her beats and stuff to listen to and be like, hey, check me out. Chocolate and she, when, right, once, <laughs> once she finds the right person, then she knows how to sell them. And I think that's huge for her and, and, and huge for the producer that doesn't have that leverage. Right. So, I mean, being the attorney creative is like what you almost sound like you're saying that to be successful, especially if you want to specifically represent, you know, producers and help to grow their careers, that you have to also have that ear. You know, lawyers many times are the deal makers in some of these situations. A manager can certainly, you know, be talking to record company folks, getting beats or lyrics placed, whatever, but a lawyer can do the same thing. So the idea of a lawyer sort of being very involved in the creative process and turning down something or picking up something, I mean, what does that make you feel as particularly entertainment lawyers about what you need to know creatively? Well, as a ex-producer, I personally felt like that was my second chance at being somewhat involved in the industry because I felt early on that spending time doing my own music was probably a waste of time. You just don't have it. Um, <laughs> you had a year to know that? <laughs> right, right. Step one. But it was refreshing to know that you can still use that artistic talent in another way through your legal training. And her life story is something that was very inspiring to me because that's exactly what I would envision my perfect practice being like. She's not just your atypical litigation attorney or contract attorney. It's just, as you said, she is finding talent, growing talent, developing talent, and that's not something that I would have thought a entertainment attorney would have said. It was very eye-opening to me. Yeah, I felt the same way the first time I realized that. And I was practicing at a very large law firm. And the partner that was teaching me everything about entertainment law was like, you know, we're going to go listen to some music. And I was thinking, like, I, does he expect me to socialize with him? I mean, this is abnormal. And, uh, and really, he was saying that if we're going to be successful in having a client base, then we have to understand the music and have an ear for it and know what's good and what's bad. Because you can't hop on a train to New York or a flight to LA or you know stay right here in Atlanta these days without having an ear for what is actually happening you know whether it's in the streets or in the theater or whatever it is the type of music that you listen to so that is important and it also can be the thing that drives you in your practice you know that you are allowed to be creative I think most people would think lawyers aren't creative people and I don't think that that's true at all and another thing that I didn't hear her say but that runs along with that I wonder what her brand is to the labels. So she's clearly someone who does have an actual good ear. Someone will say to you all the time, I have a good ear, and they don't. 
But she clearly does. I mean, the artists that she listed are many that we all listen to. Sure. And that's something that you are born with and develop. And so I wonder how when a label hears, oh, Bernie's on the way, do they get ready? Do they cancel the rest of their day because they know that she's bringing the next hot artist? They probably do. Well, yes. So, uh, you know, when I was practicing, I told you guys the story about how there was this 16-year-old kid from New Jersey and his name was Rodney Jerkins and nobody knew, you know, who he was. And the partner that I was working with believed in him so much and we used to literally at that time carry cassettes around with the music that he was producing and when he got signed his first big hit was like a huge Brandy song then they start calling you who else do you have bring us more producers so we've talked about this before about the hierarchy of lawyers right and the ones that get the meetings and the ones that can get executives to pick up their phone calls it's delivering you know the same way a manager has to deliver the same way a lawyer an agent can deliver and then the door is going to swing open so that absolutely happens. What did you think about the idea that the producer gets paid out of the artist's royalty? If an artist has a royalty with the record company, say their royalty is 12 points, and the producer comes in and is going to get three points, the artist has to give up those three points from their royalty. What did you think about that? I think you need to make sure that, one, your artist and producer have a pretty good relationship. <laughs> I mean, can you already um, see the yeah. friction? Yeah, um, right. And, you know, if you're not the attorney for that particular artist, you want to make sure you have a relationship with their attorney so that you're, you've got everything locked down contractually. A lot of the things that Bernie pointed out in, in the producer agreement and thinking of the, the different things that have to go into it from a cost perspective and making sure our costs are covered, you wouldn't normally even think about that. You're like, oh, that, that all gets taken care of in accounting on the back end. That's not something that we as attorneys have to think about. But I've Obviously we do. And so I think it goes back to that whole relationship thing that it's not just your relationship with your client, but it's your relationship with other attorneys and with artists if you don't represent them. And I think, it, again, it, it goes back to the first point I made that producers provide a lot to the music that it makes sense that if an artist is going to get some portion every time the song is played, a producer, while not getting the full amount, should get at least a little bit. And knowing how much you can go forward with the particular artist will depend on relationship and what you know and how the producer deals and the leverage as we were talking about. Sure, I mean, the producer should be compensated for the sales of the music you know, that he provided in that song. I mean, like you said, how many times do you hear a beat at the beginning of a song, you turn it up in your car because you know exactly what song that is before the artist even takes a step into the record. And I think that that's absolutely true. Ovi, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was going to make a point that I think is valid to make in the relationship of being paid from the royalty. And that is to say that when they know that part of their earnings will come from how successful their beats will be and how successful their music production will be, it is likely that they will take good amount of effort to create very good product. And that product goes to the public and the public is happy so it generates the market and it generates good business. So I think that's a good point to make in looking at it that way. So it's not necessarily bad because it'll make the producers do good, it'll make the artists do good, and overall the music industry will, will benefit from that. If I may take it a step further, I would look at the music producer almost like the coach because you can have a producer that can make or break you. Remember that the producer may be the composer or might just be the person orchestrating all of the the arrangements and everything in between. And if your producer has a good ear, like after meeting Bernie, we all know now what DJ Khaled does for a living. We never knew before that. (laughs) And if he is able to hear a sound and says, turn down that cymbal, be a little louder with your vocals, let's change this verse, 
your song that was only going to sell, let's say, 100,000 copies, he's just taking it to 500,000 copies. But you don't know right. that yet because the sales haven't come in. Right, and, and if he is DJ Khaled, <laughs> right, then, like, right. we're in a whole nother, another, like, that moniker is on... 50 more plays well, okay, that hour. Exactly. And so it is, it is important. That's a really good point because I think a lot of times producers are thinking if if this artist would just let me get on their song right mm -hmm. if Rihanna would just use my and of course right that's right. a great thing but what about Rihanna thinking I gotta get Khaled on my <laughs> right. you know I gotta get this I gotta get Pharrell I gotta get any of these so it really does work both ways so you may be a um, famous famous artist searching for that next hit and it can only come from certain producers and then you may be the producer saying you know what I'm just not putting this on anybody old, anybody's old album who is never going to get anywhere this song is too good it's going to die an early death if I give it to this person and there's a lot of back and forth with that and so if a person uh, say a new artist for example on a, on a label wants a big producer what do you think that the artist is going to have to be willing to do in order to get that producer. I mean, you may have an artist that's going to have to give up a couple of extra points um, out of those royalties. They're going to, you know, if they really want to put a hit out there, they're going to need to be a little flexible in their contract terms and what they provide for that producer. And perhaps even if their label they've had forever and they've been dealing with this label forever, they may need to kind of push on the label a little bit to get some extra for the producer. Yeah, and and not only just the royalty may have to go up, the fee, right? Mm -hmm. Just the producer fee for, you know, coming, bringing your music there may have to go up, as well as, you know, talking about um, that difficult topic of sound recordings versus musical compositions. They may have to negotiate the splits on the musical composition copyright, right? right. And mm -hmm. you may have to be willing to say, okay, I thought that I did 50% of that song, but obviously I'm only going to get 20% of that song because this producer is going to take 80% of that song. So there's right. all kinds of things that happen in these arrangements. And so what did you think about the conversation <laughs> about sound recordings versus musical compositions and understanding this is a topic that still many entertainment music lawyers do not understand. The separation between the copyright and the sound recording versus the actual musical composition. Did you guys feel like that is something that once you get out and start practicing, you'd be able to better understand as you were practicing it? Yes, you definitely need experience to be able to understand these things. And to the producers out there, make sure that you take this seriously because the, the way you phrase yourself into the agreements and into those contracts will determine for a long period of time how you will get paid and how well you'll be off from your product. And to the lawyers, make sure that you understand the differences so when you help your client, they actually get helped and not get duped in the end. Yes. I like how Bernie mentioned that using DJ Khaled again, you would imagine that a new artist comes to DJ Khaled and has written their own music and maybe they even compose the beat and so DJ Khaled doesn't need to do much but give a little bit of advice but at the end he says oh I'm going to be listed as a writer on that song and the reason why is because of the separation between the musical composition and the sound recording and the royalties and rights that come from both sides or lack thereof. Yeah, and also not only just a writer, a part arranger of mm -hmm. the... I mean, there's a lot of ways he's going to ratchet up that percentage, especially a producer like that. And I think it's important to know the difference in the power of the copyright of the 
musical composition yes, yes. compared to the recording. The recording is that one moment in time, but the composition is forever. Right. And you're always going to get royalties off the composition copyright where you might not get the recording in 30 years when things have changed. So I thought it was it's important to know, especially as a producer um, or a producer's attorney, to know the difference and where you need to push for certain things so you sure. get that power. And likely the sound recording is gonna be owned by the record company. Right. So if you walk away not understanding the difference between the musical composition and the sound recording, you could really be hurting your client when it comes to the whole extra pot of money that is out there in the publishing world for musical compositions. Yeah, and I think it's important that everybody understands that the intellectual property side of this is so in depth and so important to understand outside of, you know, I'm going to go into entertainment law, so I need to know contracts. Well, of course you need to know contracts, but getting into that copyright and knowing we're setting this up for not just the producer themselves, but I mean, this is life of the artist plus, you know, 70 years. That's You're right. setting it up for their family to have these rights and be able to license and exploit those rights down the road. So if you do it right, you're, you're really setting your client up for the long haul. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and that's what we, we, I, th I think is important is that it's also about longevity. It's about knowing, oh, I can have this income. Maybe I don't blow up, but I had one song that really people clicked with. And I can get money off that song no matter who records it. I mean, you wouldn't believe that there are people who got 30% split of a very famous song that just continues. You don't know their right. name and they're living. Their house has been paid off from it. Every time it gets played, they're getting paid for it. And it's nice to just walk out to your mailbox and there's a check annually or semi-annually, however you have it set up, that is $60,000, $70,000, whatever that you just get for doing not much right now. It is an estate planning theory mm -hmm. when you're really putting it all together because if you don't do it correctly you could mess up what you could be you know having down the line and so sure. you know I think about samples and we talked a little bit about samples in this whole thing because so many producers they're gonna bring something to the table but it's gonna sample something else and well are they gonna reveal that it is are we gonna recognize that it is mm -hmm. now you have a whole nother writer involved in having a portion of it I mean it's a lovely thing when you sample a song like Beyond say sampled Frankie Beverly and Mays and you know you know it immediately you know she was never going to put it out without acknowledging that that's what it was so it's so fantastic when you can celebrate a new artist and you can celebrate you know an old artist that is actually the writer of a song but there's been a lot of songs that people don't want to say that you know they kind of lifted from mm -hmm. other places and that can cause a lot of problems you don't want it to get iffy with your client but you need to bring up the sample topic how are you going to do that I like the way that sounds. Did you write that? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> sounds like something I've heard before. And I'm the client. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> and the story. As attorneys, I mean, I, th I think it's, it's just key for us to remind our clients, we're here to protect you. We're here to try to make sure that you're in a position to be successful and to grow and to develop your career. And Katy Perry just had to shell out $3 million right. in a lawsuit. Over, and Robin uh, Thicke. You know, uh, and, and Robin Thicke, right. absolutely. Right. Um, and so you have all of these examples of somebody didn't protect that artist. I'm not going to say it was the attorney, but it, maybe it was the attorney who could have said uh, that, that, that probably needs sounds, to be taken care of. That yeah. sounds a little familiar. And, and there you yeah, go, the, the attorney as the creative again, mm -hmm. though, because how many attorneys would even hear it? Right. That's what I was right. thinking um, yeah. when, when he said that. So how many attorneys are that connected with music that they understand that whole process and would have been able to look at blurred lines like, hmm, 
Hmm, that sounds like a Marvin Gaye. Yeah, sounds I don't know like many Marvin. would. Right. I don't know many would. But, but I would, I would definitely advise my clients, especially about the Blurred Lines song, because that was, I think, the biggest loss that we've seen in modern times. They lost a lot of money. I would let them know that all the work that you're putting into this project, all your blood, sweat, and tears, because most artists love what they do, and it's a passion for them. It would be so bad for all that blood, sweat, and tears to turn to have almost no value or to have created value for someone else. And so, you know, if you're an attorney and you don't feel that you might be able to catch a sample from a client of yours, a producer client, or even an artist writer client, there's services out there that do it. Right. And you right. can send, you know, the record company can be the ones to be responsible in the record deal for clearing samples. Most of the times they won't. But if you're, you know, a high end artist and you are negotiating with your record company, all your songs can be sent to be cleared prior to release. And it just takes all of the concern away if you do that. If you have a producer client, those services are out there. And it's a good idea to, to say, listen, this is good money invested for us to just send the song and make sure that it's clear and we're not violating any copyrights because that will be, you know, a less expensive venture than to fight it on the other end when it becomes a very popular song. Right, but if they, I think if their heart's really tied to it, I think you also have to be ready to have a, the conversation with them is you're going to be having to give up some of what you're going to earn off of this. You're going to have to give it to that person who owns it. But if you really want this, we can do it, and we can figure out a way to get it Yeah, and, and let me tell you something. A lot of times when you want to clear a sample with an older artist, they're more than willing to do it. They're honored. Of course, they feel like, thank you for asking, right. you know, because it's so unusual. I think it's better to come humbly and ask for their permission. This is not one of those cases where you do it and apologize later because the right. apology is going to cost you an arm and a leg. So you really do want to do that ahead of time. I was just going to say that we often hear lawyers say, we're here for the client. We're here to help the client. But there's one thing that also has to be remembered is that we have to adhere to the law. So in that effect, if the producers help themselves in learning a little bit about the process and knowing exactly what they are going into and how to protect themselves, when they come to us with that mentality of helping themselves, it makes it easier for us as lawyers to help them. And they can start with podcasts like this in the mix. And there's plenty of free resources where you can go and learn about this kind of stuff. Absolutely. So after we've now done a management agreement, radio talent agreements, and producer agreements, are you still interested in entertainment law? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah More absolutely. So. It's yeah. fascinating. It's fascinating. There's everything that it's all in one, right? As opposed to just dealing with just the contract. Like you mentioned, it's IP and the contract and the creative portions and everything going into one document. Yeah, name and likeness. I mean, all the credits, you know, how people are credited or are you going to come first or am I going to come first? So, you know, it's just so much to it. And so what do we have in store for our futures? Tell me once you graduate from law school, what do you want to do? I'm hoping to get directly into, not directly as in straight out of law school, but into an entertainment law. That was why I started law school four years ago. And that had I've come full circle. And it, especially the meeting that the class that we had last week really kind of focused me on entertainment law is what you want to do. I'm looking at working in the alcohol and beverage industry in terms of doing all the federal processing and stuff for them. But having this understanding of entertainment law would help us look at clients who might have entertainment contracts who want to do something like that and move into that area and help them 
get to their dreams, what they want to do, if oh. they want to own the next Ciroc or whatever. Oh, listen. I mean, alcohol and entertainment is intertwined <laughs> in ways we all know too well. Just think about the brands that have just jumped off because right. artists or actors or whoever have been associated with it. So it's almost like you better understand how the whole endorsement world, how the whole party branding world works because you're going to be inter right. intermingling with celebrities and just when you go for product placements, every area of the law has a link between what's happening in our politics, our media, our entertainment, every aspect of the law. Absolutely. So I'm glad that you were able to tie that together. I definitely want to work at a firm in the entertainment media space, kind of blending in that intellectual property. I have a, a, a real love of trademarks and copyrights as well. And so being able to blend those two together, I was really inspired by what Bernie talked about with being a deal maker and, and really being there for the success of your client as opposed to something just went wrong so the lawyer gets a call on the back end. Yeah. Being able to be there on the front end and dry, help drive that success was really nice. Yeah, it's a full service type of guidance that entertainment lawyers give. You know, it's not just we're ready to get divorced, okay, let's file the paperwork, right? A lawyer enters in at that point in those kind of matters, but a lawyer all along the way can really help to tailor an uh, entertainer's career. I'm shocked at how so many of the people that are involved in Ludacris's career were there from like the very beginning. Right. But that right. kind of being there watching the whole entire process happen has allowed them to carve and maneuver so that he's had almost like this seamless career because he's had the right kind of guidance along mm -hmm. the way. I mean, in every aspect of his team, I feel right. like he's had that. And so, Obi, what's in it for you later on? You guys may have heard this before, but I specialize in contracts, real estate, and tax. My girlfriend is in the entertainment industry, so I'm probably going to be around people that are in it. So I'm hoping to use those tax real estate and contract knowledge uh, applied in that field. But uh, the truth of it, I'm a businessman. So I want to run my own businesses and I'm in the process of doing that right now. Well, you're going to be tough on whoever represents your uh, girlfriend or future <laughs> wife. You're going to be like, what about those mechanical royalties? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, better watch out. <laughs> I want to hear about the music competition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with those writing credits. <laughs> um, Paul, real quick, tell us about, um, this is not, we're in front of the microphones, but this is not your first time. So tell us about the voiceover work you do. Actually, yeah, I've done a couple different things in front of the microphone in my life. I, I was, um, I guess what you could call a cheap DJ in college. I did the whole wedding, corporate party circuit. But then part of my day job right now outside of law school is I'm a training and development manager. So I build e-learning modules for my company. And as part of that, I do a lot of the voiceover work for that and do voiceover for the videos that get built into that. Well, that is wonderful. You know, the ownership of all of that is all a part of the fascination with the copyrights and the trademarks because that's all part of the ownership of it. So I want to just say thank you guys. This has been really exciting. We are going to talk about endorsement deals on our next podcast. And I'm excited to announce that our podcasts are now available on iTunes and Spotify. So you can go to... Um, our GSU Law at GSU Law on Instagram or any of the social medias. You can go to mine, which is at Mo Ivory, and you can uh, listen to our podcast. And I hope that you will because we want to share all of the fun and excitement and the learning, most of all, that we're doing in this class um, and give a little bit of it to you back. So we're signing off for now, but we are really excited to um, meet up with our guests for today's class, and we'll be talking about that on a future podcast. So thanks for listening to In the Mix right here at GSU Law.